0: Good afternoon and welcome to the Thunder Buddies podcast. I am your host, Michael Martin, and I am joined by a very special guest of the Locked on Thunder podcast, Mr. Ryland Styles. Ryland, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. How are you? Doing all right. I mean, we're getting the last podcast of 2022. Um, last couple of games, I mean, the Thunder will have one more game after um, on Saturday against Philadelphia 76ers, but uh, just wrapping up the season Do you have a favorite 2022 moment from the Oklahoma City Thunder?
1: Uh, It might be recency bias, but I I really think that the game against Portland where Dame got his record and then Shea hit the game winner was probably the best game of 2022.
0: I was going to go with a non-game moment and just go with them getting the number two pick, but both extremely good moments. A little bit better than last night as the Thunder lose to the Charlotte Hornets on the road. 113 to 121 what were your biggest takeaways um biggest you know um opinions based off that game Yeah
1: obviously they really struggled to defend the paint and, and I think that that is going to be a problem from now on without Chet without Poku and I think that with Jay Will I mean he didn't have his best game and uh, minus 10 in this one had the 10 rebounds and just he did not do anything effective the way he did in the G like like he didn't create a lot of space he got in the way more than he set hard screens. Defensively, he didn't wall up as well like he did in the G League. And I think that a lot of that is just due to, it was his first career start. It was his first time in the NBA getting extended run. And he just kind of kind of freaked out or kind of was trying to press and do too much. I think that as he progresses and gets more minutes, he'll kind of settle in. My biggest takeaway was that while you're watching this team get dominated in the paint and while you're watching this team struggle uh, to defend and the, and the Hornets missed two shots at the rim all night, uh and and this is a game in which if you want to push for the play and you're going to need to win it you're going to want it back now that you've lost it Darius Baisley doesn't play a single minute and and I know that he's not great offensively the Thunder did not execute offensively anyway without Baisley playing yesterday and you probably could have used him more defensively uh around the rim at least to kind of help you get on the right track and and if you only played for 10 minutes or whatever it was probably going to be worth it but instead they go to eugene marui for four minutes they, they just don't play basely and i think that that's a true indictment on basely's future at okc because they're without chet and without Boca and without JRE, and they still can't find minutes for him or don't want to find minutes for him rather uh, so that was a huge takeaway for me as well but i just think that defending the paint will be a even bigger struggle uh now moving forward for the thunder than it already was uh that was kind of the main focus for me and then it came down to just a lack of lack of execution offensively. Like there were so many times where Trey Man, Isaiah Joe, like they had great looks from three and they just missed them. Trey May went one for one for nine from three. Isaiah Joe went one for four. Uh, you're, whenever your shooters like that aren't hitting, you're not going to win very many games. I mean, you need Isaiah Joe to hit more consistently. It's an unfair standard for him, but that's his standard because that's what he does in the NBA. And then if Trey Meehan knocks down a couple more of those shots that were good looks, uh, this game kind of changes a bit on its head. So I think that it comes down to execution offensively and then just finding a way to patch together some sort of rim protection.
0: Yeah, just not a ton good on the Thunder side, just stats wise, is what I had. They won the rebounding battle. The Hornets did 52 to 41. Assists, they won 33 to 15, and they had uh, 11 blocks of the Thunder's one. I'm very proud of you for uh, talking about Darius Baisley building Block Bla- uh, Baisley. You are the Baisley bandwagon uh, leader, so that was very big of you, but. Some other uh, things, no Poku and JRE, which you mentioned kind of in passing. It's just it's incredible how much of a drop off there is when those two guys are out. Um, and then Shea obviously has his 28 points, five assists, three re- uh, three assists, uh, or five assists, three rebounds. I had it wrong in my stats here. 11 and 23 from the field, only gets the line uh, seven times, but decent game for him. I thought Josh played well. What would you see out of him?
1: Yeah, I thought Josh played really well in this game, all things considered. Uh, I think that with him, the big thing is the way that he manufactures rebounds. I mean, he got seven on the defensive end, uh, gave you a few more chances on the offensive end, so 10 total. But the Thunder need guys to close possessions and need need guys that will go and end the defensive possessions for them because – they just cannot defend and give second looks. And, and it was Kitty that had seven. It was J-Well that had eight. And those were your two leading guys in the defensive boards. Uh, the Thunder did let a few long rebounds go that they normally would get. And that, of course, changes the game a bit. But overall, I thought that Josh giddy played really well. Uh, made some nice passes. I think I think that at one point uh, in the fourth quarter, he kind of forced one where he tried to thread the needle on a bounce pass and it got taken away. And that kind of ended a, uh, a huge chance for you to try to score and tighten the game up down the stretch. But overall... I thought Giddy played well. Over three from three was not very concerning to me. My biggest takeaway from Giddy was that he was attacking the rim uh, with a nice balance of aggression and getting to that floater. He got to the line and shot seven free throw attempts, and I think that that will t- take him into another category, that free throws are how you unlock all this stuff. And the same thing with Shea that we've seen from him this year, going up to 10 free throws a game. He to get to the line a little bit more whenever he attacks at the rim, and he did that in this game. So that was great to see. So 21-10, another double-double. Like I think that Giddy is really kind of coming into his zone over this last month.
0: Exactly. I was going to say the same thing. He has been shooting much better from three over this last stretch. Just in the month of December, I think he was over 40%. But just getting to the line, those easy points, that's exactly what you want to see. That's how you see guys like Shea really take their scoring up to another level. It's not just the efficiency, it's getting to the line and making it that much easier. Trey Mann, not his most efficient night, but almost, I'd say oddly, his most complete game, including that giant hammer dunk that he had over one of the McDaniels. What do you think whenever you saw that?
1: Oh, the dunk was awesome. And it's just, it's still always surprising. Like, you know that Trey Mann can do it because you saw him do it last year, but it's just surprising whenever he just goes up and then keeps going up and then keeps going up and then slams it. Like, it is fun to watch. And you saw him try, try to do that again against the Spurs on uh, Tuesday. It didn't end with a dunk, but it ended with a cool, would have been highlight. And then this time, it ends with the actual highlight. I thought the Trey man was actually really good around the rim and really good inside the arc, but it was just, he could not find his rhythm outside the arc. He got a lot of chances. What I did like from him though, is that he kept shooting. Like a lot of times whenever you've been told by your coaches, that you've lost confidence. Like Cameron Woods said that uh, to me after the blue game on Tuesday, Marcus said that they need to find his rhythm and confidence back. Uh, and you then you start out one for six from three. It's easy to stop shooting, and it's easy just just to defer. But he kept shooting, uh, and he kept shooting quality shots. He was not just forcing the ball in there. And for Shea, Shea kept trusting. He had there was a possession in the fourth quarter where the Thunder needed a three. If, if, if it was if it went down, the Thunder were in a much better shot to win this game. And SGA has a nice behind the back pass to Trey Man who's wide open, and Trey Man launched it and he missed it. But the trust from Shea to get the ball to Man who he knows is struggling and the trust in himself for man to shoot the ball from three, whenever he knows he can shoot, it's just not happening for him this season. I thought it was a really good play in terms of process over results, which Marks always talks about. So for man overall, I agree. Like the, the, the box score for one for nine from three, like we'll taint this stuff whenever we look back at it, but this was an overall pretty good game from him, especially inside the arc. And so if he can just find that uh, compliment of still thriving inside the arc with these floaters and, and dunks and layups, But now hitting his threes, then he turns into a really nice player for the Thunder. I mean, he had 17 points, went one for nine from three.
0: Confidence, confidence, confidence. That's all it is for Trey almost every time. I like what you talked about. One for nine, not the biggest deal. He's already not shooting great from three this year. You'd hope that he could make a few more of those just to raise the confidence even more but he finished extremely well around the basket he had a lot of up and, uh, up and unders he had that dunk he had the floater he was doing a lot of different things he was competing on the defensive end Mark really let him out there and we know that Mark is not somebody who's scared to pull the plug especially on Trey Mann but good to see him raise his confidence speaking of confidence Lou Dort 22 points he had four shots in the first five minutes of the game and nine the rest of the game I would just say pace yourself a little bit He had a few wild finish attempts, but he ended up having a pretty efficient night. 7 of 13, 5 of 7 from 3. Just some concerning stuff about guarding LaMelo, but overall, um, I'd say a decent night for Lou Dort. Yeah,
1: and and again, it's like the Isaiah Joe thing I said, it's not fair. Like, it's not fair to Lou Dort to say this, but whenever you, you know, don't guard LaMelo the way that you should, like, like, Typically, ludor's not going to allow 27 points to be had and, and the nine assists and, and the Thunder aren't going to make these lapses like they did at the end of the game where they like to send that pressure to the top, to the to the logo area and blitz these cards and try to force a mistake. Well, they ended up leaving LaMelo from three for some reason to try to do that, and it just ended up in Lamello three wide open and not a turnover like it usually does. But for Ludor, like he did not defend very well. He went under screens a lot and let LaMelo just shoot from three and dared him to shoot, and LaMelo made him pay in this one, five for ten from three fifty percent and on his way to twenty-seven points for for Lou Dort, like you need him to defend at a high level and you need him to defend at an excellent level every single night. And so with this team, the margin of error is so thin that if Lou Dort is not excellent defensively, if Isaiah Joe is not hitting his threes, if you go, uh, you know, eleven for thirty-six from three as a team and and you don't get every single long rebound, you're not going to win very many games because you need to do everything perfectly. And this game set up perfectly for OKC. I mean, they, they took the lead hitting it at halftime at the buzzer. And so they have a lead going into their best quarter all season long. They go to the third quarter and they get beaten the third quarter. Then they get beaten the fourth quarter and then the game is over. So like the game set up where if they would have won the third quarter, like they traditionally do, then survive those non-SGA minutes to so the seven minute mark, they could have won this game and gotten a lot closer to the play in, in that sense. But That didn't happen, and that's kind of the pressurized situation that the Thunder find themselves in right now. They have to have everything go right and everything go perfect each night, and that's just not going to happen every single night as it did not happen here. And it's just a shame that that happened in Charlotte against a very winnable game versus happening somewhere else.
0: Okay, hit the nail right on the head with that. Just you have to have the perfect storm, especially with all these injuries now and not having a super, super talented roster. That's not to say they aren't good, but just because – or sorry – they have a talented roster. They don't have an experienced roster. That's a better way to put it. But it's it does have to be the perfect storm in a lot of ways. I mean, Isaiah Joe has kind of just been um, given a new uh, breath of fresh air and an oxygen tank to this team on the three-point line. Lewdor defensively, you know, it is a big deal when he doesn't necessarily slow down those guys. LaMelo goes five out of ten. But the last thing on this game I'll talk about was, um, I tweeted out, but Mark Williams turning into prime uh, Patrick Ewing, just for one game, he gets his first ever career double-double, 17 and 13, and a perfect seven of seven from the field.
1: Yeah, he he dominated, and credit to the to the Hornets, they had not been playing him a lot up until this point, and then over this last couple of weeks, he's been playing more, and they just took advantage of this mismatch, and and they went to him, and there was really not much OKC could have done. Again, I would like to see Baisley get a shot at defending the rim, but oh. Overall, Mark Williams had a really, really good game, and it's just a lack of rim protection for OKC due to the roster uh, construction overall, and also just due to the fact that your three big men that can actually wall up at the rim are all on the shelf right now.
0: Yep, and according to the Charlotte Hornets PR, Mark Williams recorded those stats. He was the third rookie in NBA history to meet those thresholds of 17, 13 rebounds, and 100% shooting, which I'm sure is a very, very common stat line. But just...
1: Yeah, that is interesting. That's historic.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll see. Maybe uh, we'll get Chet next year to do that. But unfortunately, we're going to have to move on to a topic that's not as fun. And that's the fact that the Thunder are without everyone's star and favorite, Alexei Pokashevsky, as he will be out, it looks like, six to eight weeks with um, a combination of injuries. But it said that it was a... Um, Plateau fracture in his left leg, and he, like I mentioned, will be reevaluated in six to eight weeks. Just so wanted to ask you what type of impact do you think will this have on the roster? Who benefits the most? What does this mean for Poku's future? So, hopefully, it means
1: nothing for Poku's future. In the sense of hopefully, this is an easy recovery. I'm not. I'm not a doctor, so I can't like. You know, assertively say that, but it doesn't seem like there's any like huge structural damage. It just seems like it's going to be, ah, dude, like you were progressing so well, it sucks that you're going to be out, but you sit out eight weeks and you're going to be okay. It's going to kind of all bounce back to normal at the same time. So hopefully that is the case. So for Poku, it should be very limited. Uh, He's kind of shown you a big sample size of progression, especially going back to training camp, which we couldn't see uh, from Mark talking glowingly for the first time in Poku's career about Poku uh, during training camp. So I, I hope that it'll be nothing for Poku in the sense of he can just easily bounce back. Now for the roster, uh, it, I think it means the most for Jay. will You're going to have to use him. And this is an important moment for Jay will in my opinion, because despite this team being the youngest team uh, in in the NBA and the second youngest team ever, the decisions are going to have to come pretty quick because I think that there's already an argument for who should play more, who should get more minutes right now as it's currently constructed. And we have not even seen the Thunder add Chet Holmgren to that. We have not seen them add Usman Jang to that. We've not seen them add a 2023 first round pick to that. So that's three more guys going to be fighting for minutes and who you're going to hopefully a lot 20 plus minutes to next year like you you hope that usman can progress enough to be where he's playing 50 to 20 minutes a night next year in year two of course chet homer is gonna get spoon fed 30 minutes a night 25 ish whatever the case is coming back from injury and then your first round pick in a very deep draft class is probably going to be somebody who can play right away just like jadeb is this year for you as a lottery pick so that's three more guys that you have to feed so there's going to be somebody, in multiple somebody's, that get cut off from this rotation. And with J. Will, as a second round pick, and as somebody whose skill set is a bit redundant with what you already have in your roster with JRE, which already have in your roster with, with other bigs, like for him. He has to prove right away that that he is worthy of being on the roster. He's worthy of being uh, in the NBA, not the G League, and worthy of being in the rotation. So he's going to get a long runway to prove that. I think that this was a lot of first-game jitters for him because he looked so much better than that in the G League, and it was really transferable stuff. It was setting screens. Like, you can do that at every level. It was body positioning, which he had a terrible job of as the game went on against Charlotte, where he just kind of got out of the way and kind of jumped instead of just staying planted and staying at the rim. So I think that Jay will um, – it's kind of impacted the most because he now gets a shot to prove it and all these guys want to prove it and and so decision making comes down next year they're going to have a better sample size of if they want Jay Wilder rotation or not or if they want him on the roster or not or however that looks and if the thunder i think that it really impacts them in terms of winning obviously like poku was one of the better players on this roster and he added so much as the connector and You saw yesterday, like the offense at times was discombobulated yesterday without their connector. And and so, is that going to be a trend moving forward? And if it is, that's really going to hurt everything.
0: Yeah, you could really feel just his miss impact. You mentioned his connectivity and just being um, a guy who can keep the uh, offense going in the blender. But just defensively, they missed some of his shot blocking, his rebounding, and then more of his spacing that just J. Will doesn't provide. So, I don't know, I you could definitely feel like Poku not being out there was... Um, the Thunder were missing him. But I'm with you, J-Will is the biggest beneficiary of this. Obviously, hopefully by the time that Poku gets a reevaluated, J-R-E, Uzman, Jang will all be back. So hopefully those guys will get minutes. But it's really going to see... The Thunder going to push a bunch of minutes into J-Will and probably into Eugene even, just to see what they have. I mean, the Thunder have a pretty talented roster, but with all these injuries... And starting out the season where you already don't have Chet, you're going to be weak just in your back line. So it should be pretty interesting. What does it mean for his future? Um, I wouldn't be super, super concerned. Maybe this turns out something well where you can work on his upper body. But this was very interesting. Ryland, he is, uh, Poku's in his third season in the NBA. He's only one month older than the Thompson Twins.
1: Yeah, that is... I love the Poku age facts. Like, I'm a sucker for them. And the Thompson Twins, they intrigue me for some wrong reasons and some great reasons like they're going to be 20 years old 21 years old playing high school level talent and I'm just not sure how you evaluate that but that's for a different podcast but yeah the Poku HVAC re- I love them so much that is a great one
0: well we'll see um, but yeah the Thompson twins are incredible we'll get more into draft as the season goes on but uh, just incredible stuff Poku let's just hope that the injury is not long term I wouldn't be super super worried about it the way that people are talking about it I'll get some more medical research in the uh, coming days, obviously, not all injuries are the same, but you can get a decent, I guess, uh, a net of seeing what the possibilities are or what people have had in the past. But moving on, this is something I'm very excited about. Plan pro con, good cop slash bad cop. Um, I told Ryland I was like, we're gonna talk about pushing for the plan. This doesn't even have to be your real opinion. Just here's one side, here's the other side. You can choose. He was kind enough and said, I don't want to choose, so I had to choose for him but you are going to be anti-push for the play Would you like to lay out your case?
1: Yes, yeah, so the anti-push for the plane. I think that why this conversation is so is so cool or so important is that we can really just lay out the cases and let the fans decide what they think is the best route because they're really, it's, it's one of those hard decisions where I don't envy whoever's making these calls because you can talk yourself into either one the more you talk about it. For pushing away from the plane and kind of not going all in, um, I think that the, Best option to do is just be let it play out because you're already seeing how missing Poku hurts you. You're, you know, According to Mark on Tuesday, JRE is not even walking or moving like a basketball player at all. So he's still going to miss two, three weeks. And so without those two guys for an extended period of time, without Usman Jang for another four or five weeks, this team's going to probably fade record-wise fast. They have a pretty tough stretch coming up where they have to play the Celtics at home. Celtics are a great team. Then go fly out to Orlando on the second night of back-to-back. That's going to be a tougher back-to-back than it appeared. And then they're going to have a, a East Coast swing where they play Miami, where they play Brooklyn, where they play the Sixers, where they play uh, the Bulls, all these teams out, out East. So the, the record is probably going to take care of itself in the fact of just by missing your rim protection. Like you play in bead Saturday night, and Mark Williams look like prime Shaq. What's in going to look like uh, on New Year's Eve if he does play in the second leg of their back-to-back in Philadelphia? So it, it's just to me – uh, going to be record wise something that fades a little bit but that does not mean that the that the level of play on the floor is going to fade. I think that, that you're going to still see them be competitive and still see them play close fun games like yesterday was a close game and had that been at home uh, with the crowd behind them who knows how it turns out but it's still worth watching. It's not as though it's not, as, it's not like the 2020-21 season or, or, or some parts of last season like it's going to be worth watching all year long. I just think that a big selling point for fading is that you've already gotten your injuries like Without Jerry, without poke, without Jang, you, you just cannot night in and night out compete at the rim. And that's going to really hurt your cases in winning close games. I mean, even if even if these games go down to the wire and you have a shot to win them, they're going to give up free two points almost every possession. So it's going to be hard to match them possession for- possession it comes down to who has the ball last at that point and, and luckily the Thunder have Shea so if you do get the ball last you're, you're going to win that game probably but you just can't bank on that every single night so the, the record I think will take care of itself and the benefit to not pushing in to not make a trade to fix this roster down low after these injuries or uh, to not try to do anything even dr- more dramatic than that would be just the fact that this roster is so deep in the draft like the draft is going to be seven eight players deep of guys who will be in your top three of players in your organization that can help you push over the top and the Thunder getting one of those guys back plus having Chet Holmgren plus having SGA plus having the of Josh Giddy and J-Dub and then everyone else that complements this roster that's very enticing for the Thunder to move into next year with and then that can you know maybe this year where you're a game out of the play-in right now or a game and a half now after that loss out of the play-in maybe next year instead of doing that you just automatically leap into the seventh seed or the sixth seed based on adding these young guys back so it's a minor setback for the last however many games of the season you know January, February, March, April but You get that massive reward from doing it. I don't think that this team will tank in the sense of like they're playing non-NBA players in February. Like That's not going to happen. But I just think that there's natural flaws in this roster that can allow them to lose games, not because they're not trying to win, but just because what we saw last night, they wanted to win that game. That was a massive game for them. They they had all the positive momentum before the game. They're going to be on national television again. They're a game out of the play-in. The Wolves look like they're falling apart. The Warriors don't have Steph Curry. You can really push in for the play-in at this point. And all that positive momentum, and they still lost. Like They were trying to win that game. They tried everything they could to win that game. Mark tried zone. He tried man. He tried blitzing. He tried everything he could to win that game, and they just didn't against the bad Charlotte Hornets team. And so I don't think that – don't confuse us with they're not going to try to win, and they're going to play Georges Caropolis or whoever that guy's name was last year, but it's just the nature of the beast. When you start playing these better teams down the stretch of – no protection that can get truly exposed to hurt your record. But still, you get to go out night in and night out in the Paycom Center and watch Shea dominate. Watch Josh Skiddy continue to run into his own. Watch J-Dub. It's going to be fun, but it might not end in a lot of wins, in my opinion, which could also help the future of the Thunder with that draft position.
0: It's a pretty good case. Let's, let's see what I can do here. I'll stretch my legs here for a second. I'm playing the devil's advocate of the Thunder, pushing for the play-in. First and foremost, they're only, let's see, two and a half games back of the Warriors, so... The Blazers are 18 and uh, 16 as the eighth seed. So the playing spots at nine and ten are the Jazz and Warriors at 19 and 18, 18 and 18. The Timberwolves are one game ahead of the uh, of the Thunder at 16 and 19. To the Thunder's 15 and 20. I think that these are some flawed teams, and you only need to pass two of them. Maybe you can pass the Jazz. Maybe you can uh, pass the Timberwolves, who are just looking as dysfunctional as possible. But you hit a good note about the Bigs. Because it's not just about playing these bigs like a Joel Embiid, but when you're in a league like this where it's so many pick and rolls and now these guys are going to get switched on to star playmakers and guards, it makes it even more complicated. So um, in the past, there's a reason why I talk about this so much is Marcus Smart won Defensive Player of the Year last year. Before that, the last one was Gary Payton as a guard to win Defensive Player of the Year because bigs anchor your defense. The Thunder, it's no secret, have kind of left that empty for the last couple years which has helped them maximize their draft odds but I think that there's still something in this roster that you can push forward and you look at the history of the play-in there's a lot of teams that have taken a leap afterwards the Suns didn't make the play-in but they go 8-0 in the bubble and really catapult them the next season Memphis was in the play-in they lose but then have a great season the next year Um, and then you have a few other ones Memphis again was in the play-in um Indiana and Charlotte, not a great example. Charlotte's struggled its way through there. Minnesota, they get in the play-in. New Orleans is the most recent example. They um, When they're playing game, they end up going and playing against the Suns, and they've taken a real leap this season. Some of it is with just getting Zion healthy, but other parts it definitely feels like it's a big thing. And then in the, other, in the East last year, Cleveland seems like it's been a leap team. And the Thunder, you have all your draft assets. It wouldn't kill you if you just made a small trade to I don't know fill that gap just momentarily and who says that you you know once you get in that situation maybe you have a fighting chance maybe there's an injury there and Shea I think is a playoff level player and even if you do get in the plan and lose in the first round or end up getting swept in the playoffs it's a good experience and the Thunder aren't in a dire situation because as we talked about with Chet coming into the frame uh, in the fray into the next season you already have your star talent that you're hoping for so if you can get a guy, like you mentioned, the seven to eight range, and it's like eight different guys who are really, really good, and the Thunder have all those extra draft capital where potentially if there's that many good players, maybe you can trade up into the top four, I'd say that it's they're in a decent position, and I wouldn't be opposed to them pushing for the play-in and just getting that more experience and maybe accelerating the timeline a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think that they're both great options for the Thunder. I I think that like we should give our real opinion after they get playing W yeah
0: from
1: For me... I- I mean, for me, I'm just looking at the value of the play-in, and I think a lot of people are very dismissive of the value of the play-in, but look what it did for Memphis. Like, Memphis made the play-in. They played Portland. John Morant burst onto the scene. He became one of the most popular players in the NBA. They went against Utah. They lost in, what, five or six games? I five games. I think it might have been six, but they, they did not have a chance in the game get this against Utah. But the first-round exit for them meant that all their young players got a ton of national recognition – a lot of people became fans of what they were doing and they kind of got that first taste of winning and it led to a very successful next year. And, and you've seen what they've become now. I think that there's value to play whenever you have a guy like Shea and like Shea can truly transform the way that people view him and kind of just come onto the scene the way that Jaw did. And for the thunder, there's no harm in making the plan. It's not as though you're the Spurs or you're the Rockets or whatever. Like it's no harm making the in because you already have Chet Homer waiting on in the wings. Like if you were good enough to make the plan this year, you don't, you know, and you, you just need to add Chet Homer to this roster. Like that's really all you need to do. Like you don't need to tank all out for Victor Mignani, you don't need to tank all out for Scoot. If you're good enough with the way that Shea's playing, the way that ups gonna progress, and the way that Josh Giddey's gonna progress, and you still add Chet Homer back to this roster, that's the best of both worlds. Now, should you make a trade to get there? Uh it's a it's a weird question because you're right, the Thunder have a bevy of assets to where it's kind of like a billionaire donating a dollar to charity like it, it it wouldn't hurt you necessarily but you still like the dollar like you still don't want to give away money so you still like having all these assets you don't want to just give them away willy-nilly uh, but there is a way where i think you can make a trade that can help this roster by getting somebody's version of darius Basley, like but but a bigger basically like Basley a really good defender you can switch one through five but the Thunder just don't want him long term and whoever trades for him if someone does trade for him between the, now and the deadline they don't have to keep him he, they can just let him go they get the roster spot back um, and it does not matter. So if you can give us protected second-round pick and get a big minute to defend the rim, uh, sure, go ahead and, and do that that move for whatever reason that the other team wants to do it, whether it's salary cap dumping, whatever it is. Go ahead and make the move with a protected second-round pick or a couple seconds or first, whatever it is, to get someone to bridge that gap between now and Chet Holmgren. You also have to keep them in mind the, the fit between whoever you bring in down low if you're going to be on the roster long-term and Chet Holmgren, which is harder to do without seeing Chet Holmgren play in the NBA. But my 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 thing for this season is, just play as hard as you can. Try to win as many games as you can because you're still adding Chet Holmgren. This is this is all made difference by having Chet Holmgren already. If you didn't have Chet Holmgren, I'd be all in on, on trying to lose games. But you already have Chet Holmgren, so try to win games. I, I think that there is value in the play-in more so than people would like to admit. But where I fall is just let it ride right now, and you might finish, you know, with a seventh worst record in the NBA. You might finish in the play-in. But if you finish in the play-in, it'll be very fun to watch this team play. And it'll be very fun to laugh at all the national media black eye stuff, which I just really find enjoy in, you know, enjoyability in. But I, I really lean closer to the play and stuff. Like I don't lean closer to the tanking this year because of Chet. So I, I lean closer to either riding it out or making some minor move to bridge the gap down low defensively until you can get Chet back, until you can get Poku back. Just a, just a minor move, not a huge blockbuster trade, but a minor move with the deadline to help this roster round out. So one of those two options is kind of where I'm at for this team. Where are you at?
0: Well, you talking about the bevy of draft picks, all I can think of was Sam Presti looking like Mr. Krabs hoarding money and hoarding picks. But, I don't know, you can boo me if you want. I'm going straight down the middle like you. I see the beneficial uh, aspects of the plan. To me, you know, Shea has already had that experience in the playoffs in two different separate appearances. Um, Lou has had his Game 7 and going toe-to-toe with James Harden in a lot of those games defensively. I think it'd be good for a lot of the younger guys on the roster. But the thing is, I don't... I'm not saying the Thunder wouldn't want this, I'm saying Michael Martin, but just the expectations that come with it of if you do make the play-in, it's been a launching point for some teams. What if you don't have that launching point? What if Chet starts out a little bit slower? He's missed an entire season. What if adding these new guys to the roster? What if it's two steps forward, one step back, three steps forward, four steps back for a lot of these guys in their development coming in like Josh? you know, How's that going to work? So maybe it's just me being, I guess, on the safer side and being more conservative. But yeah, just play it down the middle. And then since the draft lottery odds were flattened out, the number seven pick has jumped up every single season. Last year was the Sacramento Kings. So to see what happens, uh, but I'm with you. Just play it out and just see what happens with this season. As long as you don't have to sacrifice any big long-term assets, I'm fine with the trade as well. Um, There is some degree of like, you know, what are we doing if we're trading... Um, I don't know a super late top thirty protected first round pick for New Orleans Noel, but if you can find a guy like an Isaiah Joe sort of category as a younger distressed asset who you think has some potential, I'm with it on that. But it feels like their destiny's already kind of been chosen for them after this injury. I took this topic before we knew the extent of Poku's injury, but um, it should be really interesting. And this schedule, as you mentioned, in these um, upcoming games where it's Philadelphia. Boston and a bunch of other playoff teams I think it's going to get sorted out extremely quickly and we're gonna know in the next couple of weeks where this team stands on the Possibilities of moving towards a plan or staying in the lottery But I'm with you more than likely they're gonna end up in the middle because even if you did try to tank Your roster especially with Shea Gilgis alexander is just way too talented to catch some of the teams at the very very bottom um, like a Charlotte, even though they lose to them last night, like a Detroit, like a uh, Houston and teams like that. I just think that the Thunder are too competent, and Shea alone just puts you at a level, I don't know, uh, that helps you float above them where you're not going to reach them at the bottom.
1: Yeah, you, you kind of create too much separation to get down to the bottom three. Even the bottom four is a little bit outside of, of their own possibility. You can probably get to five at this point, uh, but you're closer to the playing than you are to that marker right there. And you mentioned... You know the playoff experience that that's very valuable for Shea and Lou Dorr and for Dorr he's one of those guys that burst onto the scene like we all saw what he was doing in OKC but the the national audience didn't not and then all of a sudden after he goes and locks down James Harden, whatever you want to call it, in the bubble. Then all of a sudden, Zach Lowe has a Dort Oklahoma license plate in his ESPN set, so that's really cool for the for the small market team. But I've picked January 16th as Judgment Day for Oklahoma City uh, because up until that date, the Thunder will play uh, the Celtics – the, the Sixers on sorry, then the Celtics, Magic, uh, Wizards, Mavericks, Heat. And then they start out playing the Sixers on the road, Bulls, Nets, Pacers. Uh, and then after that stretch, I think, you're going to know – what this team is. Because if you can survive that stretch and still be in the play-in or a half game out or a game out with the current, you know, roster of not having Poku and not having JRE, then you're probably closer to playing team than you are taking team at that point. And at that point, we just have to put away our preconceived notions of what this team should have been and focus on what they are right now. They, at that point, they will have declared themselves, as Sam Pressy likes to say, as a playoff caliber team. If you can survive Philadelphia twice, Boston, uh, a, a surging Magic team who won't have Franz Wagner because of suspension, but they'll have everyone else back after that. Uh, and then the Mavericks, who have Luka that can just take over a game. The Heat are a tough game on national television. Sixers, again, we've we said to them twice. The Nets, who are playing a lot better. Uh, if you can survive them, plus a play-in caliber East team in the Pacers and then whatever the Bulls are, if you can survive that stretch, which is mostly on the road, uh, then with a back-to-back, you split uh, the in there as well, then you've done it without Poku and Jerry, and you've, and you've made yourself into... This playoff caliber of team or play in caliber of team, which is very fun without Chet Holmgren, who you're going to add back next year and without Poku and Jerry two of your better rotational pieces that you're going to get back eventually.
0: Yeah, I'm with you on that. And just you never know, knock on wood with a lot of this stuff, but we've had a pretty healthy Shea season. We've had a pretty healthy Josh season. All that can change is here and there because the law of averages says those guys aren't going to be just healthy for the entire season. You're going to have something that comes up. I mean, Shea already, he had that tough fall where he did sit out for his lower back injury. We've seen it just being close to the court of just the back pad that he wears and even him wincing whenever he's sitting down and getting back up in the presser uh, before and after games. Just a lot of discomfort on his lower back. So you never know with that. So... I would say the same to you just let's play it out and enjoy it for what it is if i'm a thunder fan you can loot uh, root for losses or root for wins but you're not wrong in either sense of uh, the argument but just enjoy the development of these guys this is not a win uh, at all costs or boom or bust type of roster or type of situation or season for this team but it should be enjoyable just to see Who can catapult based off these extra minutes, extra development, if they are able to push in for the play-in, and maybe if they're not and they have to shut down guys later towards the end of the season. I'm not, like you mentioned, not in February, but maybe it's in late April. Maybe you get some extra minutes for a guy like Trey Mann or Aaron Wiggins to show out what they're doing, but there's, there's a positive aspect no matter which way you look at it.
1: Yeah, for sure. And in April, if you do have to have some nicks and bruises and Trey Mann plays more, it can it can really show you again that this is still going to be a different season because it's Trey Mann playing a first-round pick and it's not, you know, Lindy Waters playing 40 minutes a night. Uh, with Trey Mann playing like, like that could be an option for them if he's still struggling in April, you let him play the whole month of, you know, the end of March and, and April, a little bit of April that you play as a ball handler because that's what he did in the G League to put up 35 points and 40 points in two games. And so if he ends the last 10 games of his NBA season as the lead ball handler as as somebody who gets gets into a rhythm scoring and just looks at the box scores of his last month and goes, huh, I can really do this. That then propels his summer workouts that propels his training camp attitude. And then hopefully his third season is a lot better than his second season at that point. So like, that's all in hypothetical uh, realm of possibility for the Thunder, which just goes to show my biggest point is no matter where you fall, this will be watchable basketball. This will be an entertaining basketball. This will be fun, a fun team to watch no matter what their record says at the end of all of this. So I think that that's going to be the most refreshing part for a lot of Thunder fans is that this will be worth your time for the entire season. And yeah, I mean, people, I'm glad you brought that up that's a good point about shea i i know he's not injured in the sense of like he's not the injury report and he's not sitting out games but he is going through it like he he, with his usage rate like and and his hard fall in new orleans like since that time he's been really struggling uh as as kind of wincing through pain and and playing through pain you saw last night he had that tip-in layup where he instantly grabbed his back and that could be nothing but it just shows that you know he is somebody that can tolerate pain he's somebody that can play through pain and steal put up these these great numbers and great production. So I think that uh, that's a great thing for Shade to be continuing to battle through all of this. But come April, there's only five games left and if you've been mathematically eliminated and there's no need for me to continue to fight through pain for five games that don't matter at that point if you're eliminated. Uh, but if you get to April and you're a game out of the play-in with five games left, yeah, keep fighting through it. Let's see what you can do for the last five games, especially if you match up with those teams that, that you need to overtake. So yeah, I think that that's a great point, though, to point out to fans that like... I know he's not missing the games, and so it's really fun, but he's still getting some nicks and bruises that he's fighting through. So credit to him for for continuing to do that and taking on that pain threshold.
0: Yeah, I mean, people forget there's a reason why there's two different words for it, playing through injury versus playing through just being hurt or playing through pain. And Shea's definitely doing that right now, playing through a lot of pain. You can just see it on some of those times, like you mentioned, where he comes down with a rebound, he goes up and then lands uh, super hard. But nothing super super concerning maybe he'll sit out a couple of games here and there I think that he's definitely making a um definitive push for the all-star game I think that's a big reason why he's playing and I think he also just loves to play and is trying to push down some of those narratives about him being injury prone or anything like that because he has some missed some, uh, some time in the past but um Rylan it was really fun today glad to have you on we awesome. will have to have you on again but anyways, um, we are looking forward to the game tomorrow night. Ryan and I will be there in person covering the game as the Oklahoma City Thunder take on the Philadelphia 76ers on New Year's, on New Year's Eve. This has been the Thunder Buddies Podcast. Make sure to like and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. five stars. Follow us at ThunderBudPod on Twitter. And Joe and I will be back next week on Tuesday and Friday.